Welcome to Getting Into InfoSec, where we talk with information security professionals and learn how they got into the field. I'm your host, Eamon Elswa. My guest today is Clay Wells. He shared with us a really exciting story that he encountered in his travels as a blue teamer. But I had to, I had it all prepped up as to what I was going to do exactly so I could just execute, execute, execute. And yeah, my heart was racing and that was a huge rush. Clay Wells is a point of contact for the DC215 group, one of the coordinators for the Blue Team Village at DEF CON, and the creator of unofficial CTF challenges for local hacker cons. Some of the inspiration behind it grows out of communicating with people that are within the local communities here. He's also an organizer of the first annual Whopper Summit taking place March 1st, 2019 in Atlantic City, New Jersey. All right, on to the show. Hey, Clay, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Happy yeah, to be here. Yeah. yeah, thanks for coming on. So can you tell us about what you do today and uh, and how you got into the field? Yeah, absolutely. So I work for the University of Pennsylvania doing information security for the School of Arts and Sciences. And I've been there in my current role for about just over four years. Been at the university for 10. I've been in academia for... 20 years or a little bit more than 20 years now. Oh, wow. So most of my career has been in academia. Worked for a, uh, for a local ISP back in the late 90s. So I've had some exposure to non-academia work environments. So been doing it in IT for 20 years, but not, a, not exclusively information security. So I started out doing computer support, you know, installing a new CD-ROM or Back then, we were rolling out Windows 95 machines, so right. started out doing that, but then quickly found found out that a professor was, he had a side project or a project that he used as a teaching tool, and it was a PHP application, and a guy that I was working with was developing it and running the web server and running the DNS server and running the mail server. And running the file server. So it was back then Novell, but we had a bunch of Linux machines also. Right. So I quickly fell into programming Mm -hmm. and system administration right away. So doing both. And he had some good skills. Learned a lot about Linux from, from my colleague. He'd show me stuff like, you know, sniffing network packets and, oh, look at all this plain text stuff going over the wire. And Mm -hmm. so right away, security was part of it, right? You know, we had to worry about firewalls and those sorts of things. We were developing a web application. So we were, you know, being mindful of how we were developing Mm -hmm. as well. So it was always sort of part of my role to some extent anyway. Right. Then I bounced around into a um, just programming exclusively role, and then I've had I've held positions where I was just doing system administration, and of mm-hmm. course writing scripts and automating what I could. So I've done a lot of both, and it wasn't until about eight years ago, eight or nine years ago, where I started to focus on security. The position that I was in wasn't really a system admin role or a mm-hmm. programmer role. I was doing other sorts of things, working with the SunGrid engine, helping researchers run their MATLAB jobs or R jobs, stuff like that. Yeah. At the university, there were, um, I found security groups 
There was also a security reading group mm-hmm. that I started going to. And that was cool. I learned a lot. And I started to meet people across campus. What's the security reading group like? Like, what, what was that about? So I lead that group now, which is nice. Kind of fell into that. But we alternate a technical book and a non-technical book. All in information security. Yeah, all on information oh, okay. security. That's awesome. So we just alternate back and forth. When the, when the Verizon DBIR comes out, we'll talk about that. Nice. For one okay. week. And we meet, over, we meet over once a week over lunch. Mm-hmm. And we'll just knock out like 50 to, to 75 pages, give or take. Okay. You know, depending on the book, if it's a nonfiction, we'll usually go quicker. If it's like something like the art of memory forensics, we'll go much slower and sort of yeah. take our time with it. Very thick. Um, yeah. And we try to do hands on stuff when we can. Okay. When people have time to do it. So, yeah. So that's been a great learning experience and a great okay. outlet. I noticed the reading list on your website. Pretty good amount of books there. Yeah. Um, was that is that what inspired it from the reading group? Basically, that list as it goes on? Yeah, so I do maintain or I try to maintain a page for the reading group with all of the previous books we've read. Yeah, so I, I try to post some some things there. I work with a, a small team, supervisor, project manager. We're with the, the the Linux system administrators. We for a while there we had a co-op, a Drexel co-op, mm-hmm. and so I would interview them. You know, make make a selection bring them on and they would be they'd be with us for 6 months. Okay. So one one thing that I did post was um a little exercise. I think it was HPing or NPing. I think it was HPing. But the gist of it was to capture a, a t- the TCP handshake. So it's a technical exercise. So for the candidates that came into interview, I would I'd mention that to them, you know, if, or if they were asking for more information that I knew they would really be interested. So I'd, I'd throw that at them and see if they did anything with it. And the ones that did, of course, you know, got ranked a little bit higher naturally. So that was part of the motivation also to have sort of small digestible posts, especially if there's any one thing I'm particularly doing for, for something at work then maybe I can sort of roll that into a, a quick little post. How do people find out about your reading list on campus? And have you found that reading list to be helpful for some of your students that are trying to get into the field? Yeah, I think so. We'll send out blasts across campus. We use Slack. Um, mm-hmm. the, I, the IT staff uses Slack. So I'll, I'll make announcements there between books if we are coming up with a new book. And... A mailing list, so we mm-hmm. you know use that to get the word out there. Is it mostly part of the computer science departments and, and engineering? Is that is that how we'd find yeah, out? Yeah, mostly IT staff. There oh, are okay. a few people over in the um, CIS department that they might be students. Yeah, mostly IT staff. Okay, this is mostly an IT staff internal thing. Yes. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not not one for the. Greater demographics. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So my limited knowledge of information security at a college, I understand that it's a little different. It might have changed now, but like it was it's it was a little different where you, a lot of times you had to be hands off. Yes. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Can you talk about where the freedom of data and students to be able to browse and, and things like that and like 
how do you balance that? Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely more open, a more open environment. Desktops are mostly managed, you know, but there's always the challenge of we can never really see everything on our network or know about everything on our network because there are little pockets of labs doing some sort of research and we're just not always aware of that. Um, so it takes a lot of communication between management, you know, mm-hmm. and the higher ups to um, just let people know that, hey, we're here. We're here to help. Let us know if we can help in any way. And people tend to be responsive to that. Okay. So, so tell me about your first computer. My first computer. Yes, I still have it. It doesn't work um, exactly, but it's a Commodore 64. I have the tape drive the tape deck, the floppy drive. Awesome. I don't have the old printer, but that's, you know, no worries there. Have the old, like, monochrome monitor. So, yeah, I got that, and I had a big sort of what-the-f moment because my stepfather at the time set it up, had this up in my room, it's all great, and then he's like, all right, let me show you how to program this thing. I'm like, what? Okay, cool, okay. And he's like, 10 space print hello (laughs) return and i'm like what is this craziness and so (laughs) that was like my knee-jerk reaction but all this work that i have to do yeah i was like where are the games yeah (laughs) but i I also had this magazine and that i was subscribed to and in the magazine they had code examples of of games or other little tools and things and so I would type those in, save those to disc or cassette, play, and then play them or run them. Most of the time, there was some sort of bug somewhere. I mistyped something, and right. so I had to go back and find it. So looking back on that experience, fa- very fond memories and very thankful that I was had the opportunity to be exposed to that sort of technology at such a young age, really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fourth grade. Okay, yeah. fourth grade. That's awesome. What was your first hack in life, uh, whether it be technical or or, or non technical? Where did you get that bug? I guess you could, you know, consider some of those programs that I was writing, and then you know, making little tweaks to kind of hacking. I remember I have a, fond, a distinct memory of being at a friend's house, and he had a modem, mm-hmm. and that was amazing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a modem; didn't have one until much older, but that was awesome. That yeah, you know, he starts dialing in and joins his BBS, and there's like games and stuff. And I was—that's when I was hooked. Nice, yeah. nice. C- cracking games or whatever, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't—I'm a musician also. So then my, you know, start hitting puberty, and then it's like drums and music becomes my life, and computers sort of go by the wayside until college. Then it was I was right back in programming, mm-hmm. so that's that's where my heart's always been. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm really finding a lot of information security professionals to have this really creative side to them. So it, it's really cool. There's got to be something to that. I'm, yeah, I'm a a strong believer in embracing that creative side and mm-hmm. just being artistic. That like take a break if you're if you're into because a lot of people in our field sort of go down different rabbit holes and they're like it's so hyper focused on like one topic for a while and that's like that's all you do which is cool and it's awesome but sometimes you just need that break or have music on while you're 
while you're hacking away at stuff or yeah. figuring stuff out. It just helps get you in that mood, that mindset. Um, and sometimes I'll just take a step away and watch some sort of art documentary thing on TV or go to an art museum or something just to sort of stay in tune with that creative side. And sometimes, you know, you can find little bits and pieces of motivation or inspiration doing those things. Do you have any any cool war stories from from all your time in information security that you could talk about at least? Uh, sure. There's This doesn't happen very often. So when mm-hmm. it does, it's, you know, it's a big thing. And it's happened twice. The most recent time, it's just a few years ago, a system was compromised and it, it wasn't at work. It was for stuff I do on the side. Okay. And so this, the Linux server was acting funky. It was compromised. So I'm like, all right, let me see what's going on. Can I SSH in? All right, I'm in. Now start looking at different processes, looking at open ports. Can I SUD root? No, I can't. The password's been changed. Crap. You know, we're hosed. So what am I going to do? The person was on the machine at the time. Now, were they in front of their terminal actively right. doing something? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But I have to assume so. Yeah. And so my heart starts racing. How can I get this person out of here? What am I going to do? The root password's been changed, and it's in a remote location. So I can't just go to this machine mm-hmm. and like boot into Linux single mode and change the root password or whatever. Or do I have to like call the people and have them, you know, yank the network out and then rely on our backups? You know, I still have access to the machine, so um, so there's that. So I said, all right, well, let me think about this. I said, well, let me see if I can crack his password. Right. So I went ahead and um, ran John the Ripper on that. So let that go. And I start thinking about other stuff I can do. How did this guy, what happened? How did he get in? Found that pretty quickly. It was a SQL injection. So Mm. we pretty much owned that and got in that way. Okay, great. Let me find a way to block that. So I did. Um, I found the file or two files that had this vulnerability and just removed them basically. Mm. And I probably, I think I probably did some other thing to help shut that door, essentially. So I was like, all right, cool. And then I look back and it's like, boom, the password's found. I was like, this can't be right. Um, but yeah, and and I still remember it. It's Mark 2002. I was like, this is too good. This is too perfect. So I have root password. Now what am I going to do? How can I SU to root, kick him out? change the password, make sure the door is locked, maybe apply some firewall rule or something, limit everything to to my known IP. I basically did all of that really, really quickly, but I had to I had it all prepped up as to what I was going to do exactly so I could just execute, execute, execute. And yeah, my heart was racing and that was a huge rush. And that's when I was like, yeah, blue side rocks you know Mm -hmm. this is you know you you can't get that you know you have to be you know if you can defend and get someone off your system it's such a great feeling yeah now it took a lot of work to go back and make sure no crap was left behind yeah you know look back through his bash history stuff wasn't erased so it was you know kind of sloppy and they really weren't doing much I, we got lucky in that aspect. So, yeah. so that was a few years ago. Certainly doesn't happen every day, but mm-hmm. yeah, when those moments happen, it's like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. That's cool. 
That's that's a good one. That's really good. So tell me more about the Blue Team Village at DEF CON. From what I understand, you're one of the organizers. And, you know, there's a lot of talk. From what you see out in the conferences and everything, it's all mm-hmm. focused on the red team side, all the yeah. testing side. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, and for me, I'm a builder. I mean, there's definitely the breaking side, but for me, mm-hmm. I'm naturally a builder. And I see that, you know, most of the jobs out there are for builders. You're looking for security analysts, security engineers. We're on the inside. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you can you tell me more about that? Because I really, I really want to talk about the blue team side. And um, yeah. because what I'm seeing is a lot of people that are trying to get into in- InfoSec field are really attracted to the that red team, the pen testing part. Yeah, absolutely. But, I feel like the blue team part is overlooked and that's where, you know, a big need is. Yeah, I think it certainly hasn't been like the sexy InfoSec job to have. But yeah, defense is, that's what people want. There's a lot of defense work out there. And it's really awesome that there was talk on Twitter and one thing led to another. And before I know it, yeah, there's a blue team village being organized and that's awesome. It's a fir- was the first at DEFCON. There's blue been some blue team um, elements there, quite a few over the years, but it's notorious for being a, a hacker con, a red team, you right. know, red team side event. So by no means was this like the first ever blue team thing, but mm-hmm. a village dedicated to it. Yeah, that's pretty awesome and a long time coming. And there's a lot of interest in it. And we had a lot of volunteers, which was awesome. Um, we were pretty much just like, yeah, come on by, help out when you can, and just meet people and hang out and learn and share. And yeah. one of the great things about the village, aside from all the great talks and people, um, was the the open sock uh, from mm-hmm. Re- Recon Infosec. They run a defensive or a blue team capture the flag. So we had them there, and that was they did a phenomenal job. So definitely go check them out. And they're at, as we're speaking, B-Sides DC, if I'm not mistaken. That's where they are now. They're going to be back next year at DEF CON, Blue Team Village. Um, Looking forward to that. They're going to have a lot of new things lined up. But that's how that works is there are different scenarios. And you can start, start at the top if you want, and you could work your way down through that scenario and as you go along it gets more complicated and more points for each of the challenges and it utilizes different tools so there's packet stuff there's gray log was um, was used and what else uh cabana there were a few others but they all do sort of different things on the forensic side of things and having exposure to all those different tools and they're all free and open source software that alone is a great experience i wasn't aware of of half of those tools and i had certainly never used them so that was great to be able to kick the tires on that as we were setting up the night before yeah it's pretty cool the uh the resources page on the blue team village at blueteamvillage.org is mm-hmm. chock full of uh of links yes Yes, we reached out to the community, people that were um, interested in helping out, and just blasted them to send us all the tools you find useful. And so we just compiled the list that way. And, of course, we want to keep that up to date so it doesn't go stale. We'll keep that updated each and every year. Okay. Okay. As new tools come out and 
Maybe yeah. it's some sort of thing, sort of retire or fall off. Yeah, so a lot of good resources on there. So what are some things that you would recommend to folks getting into the field? Yeah, so gen- some general advice. One thing I think is important is to have, especially if you're new, is have a take a holistic approach to InfoSec. Dive into the culture, different cons, music, people, volunteer, get out, get involved. That's important. Learn about a little bit of everything okay. and then f- find what really interests you and go for it. You never know what it might be. And it might not even be technical. So um, there's that side. There's the non-technical side of things also. I would say try to learn to do some basic things with system administration okay. and learn some basic programming. Scripting in whatever language. Yeah. Yeah. There's Python is huge. Mm-hmm. There, are lo- there are lots of examples out there. You know, learn little exercises, you know, just try a few just to get a feel for it and see if you even like it. But also just to learn a little bit about it because you never know when that might come in handy. I would also recommend, especially if you're on the Linux side of things, I guess you can do some of it on on the Mac, too. Um, I don't use the Mac that much. Um, I did for a few years, but mostly primarily Linux. Mm -hmm. I would say compile stuff. There are a couple package managers are great. It's great to apt get stuff or to yum install things, but try compiling a custom Linux kernel. Try, and if you don't, if that seems like a, too much of a daunting task, that also helps you learn a lot about hardware. Try nmap, compile nmap. Yeah, any and, tool that's out there. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. Yeah. If there's a if uh, any of the open source security tools, it might have a release, but instead of the release, you know, try to compile it yourself. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Just just to see what it's like, even just to go through the make, you know, configure, make, make, install. Right. Boom. And you can install it anywhere. It doesn't have to be user bin or user local. So, yeah, try that a little bit. Uh, reading. Reading is, I've that's extremely helpful. You can learn so much from so many different books, technical and non-technical. Yeah. And learn about some of the history. Go back and read some old frack issues. Yeah, and just kind of go from there. Did you uh, have you read uh, Masters of Deception? I have not. Oh, good read. Yeah. Very good read, especially if you're in the BBS days. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll have to check yeah. it out. Yeah, I saw on your list that you had Kingpin, so that's on my yep. to to read list. Something more modern, but uh, Masters of Deception, really good book. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So you are the or one of the organizers of the Whopper Summit. Yes. Yeah. Tell me how that came about. What drove you to do that? What's the purpose? What should people know about the Whopper Summit? Some of the inspiration behind it grows out of communicating with people that are within the local communities here. Um, I'm in Philly and we have a bunch of different meetup groups. They all do something, you know, things a little bit different. But leading up to DEF CON, we're like, wouldn't it be pretty badass if we kind of all got together somewhere before we go, just kind of hang out and party and, you know, whatever, do stuff, do the CTF or something. That's where some of the inspiration came from. One thing that I always enjoy doing is just participating. That's actually one of the, I went to my first DEF CON two years ago and I went to the not to you know talk too much about DEFCON, but that's where a lot of inspiration has come from. The DC 101 panel, so the DEFCON 101 panel that I went to was probably the most memorable and fun part 
um, at least that I can talk about from that DEF CON. They were all about, every one of them on the panel was about participating and doing stuff, be part of it. And it is what you make it. And that life is like that as well. So that was inspiring. And so I sort of ran with that. And was I doing this before? So I started doing creating my own CTFs also. And that helped me learn a lot about different things. Or okay. it, 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 it allowed me to dig deeper into different topics. So that's where the inspiration came from. You don't see any... Uh, I'm not, at least I'm not aware of like really immersive, hands-on learning experiences at an affordable price, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For people. There's a bunch of trainings you can go to and yeah, you can spend thousands of dollars easily. So that's not really accessible for a lot of people. And I'm in academia. So, you know, I tend to be around a lot of students. And so I see this, you know, how, the, how do they get into it? Well, yeah, you could go to this training and spend five grand, but wait till we'll let your employer do that for you. It, wouldn't it be nice if there was something, conferences or trainings that had primarily workshops and hands-on things to do that you can really go and learn and sink your teeth into different topics without spending a whole bunch of money? So that was part of the motivation as well. And I just reached out to a few people, see if they might be interested in helping with that, if they thought hey, does this seem like something, like a good idea? You know, should I, do you think I should pursue this? So it sort of gained steam enough to like keep going. It's like, all right, cool, let's do this. And so started reaching out to more and more people. And there was at some point, probably two months ago, roughly, where it's like, all right, we're going to do it. Let's do it. That's awesome. Yep, yep. So I'd already been talking with people at... Um, in Atlantic City, Caesars Entertainment in Atlantic City. So we were already going back and forth with what it would take to have some sort of conference yeah. that we could organize. And yeah. they've been very helpful and a pleasure to work with so far. Yeah, so it's slated for March 1st, which is Friday through the 3rd. And we're just going to open with a welcome reception Friday night so people can just come hang out. We'll probably have some on-the-spot CTF stuff going. So if people want to get their hands dirty doing things, that's going to be there. And then we'll kick off Saturday. We'll have a track of talks and a track of workshops. And we'll end Sunday afternoon. So we'll do that Saturday and most of the day on Sunday. That's awesome, man. It's very exciting. That's really yeah. exciting. Yeah, it seems it seems to be a good a good gap between hope, which is every other year, and then and yeah. in New York, right? And then DEF CON, which is in Las Vegas. I, I know as a former East Coaster, it, it was hard to get out to DEF CON, right? So, yeah, yeah, it is. That's common. Yeah. I hear that a lot. So this is an annual conference? Yep, this is our inaugural year. So this will be our first year. But yeah, the plan is definitely to do this every year. We're going to be at Bally's in Atlantic City. Uh, me and one of the other organizers went out for a site visit this past weekend, okay. and and that was great. We got to see the rooms. Uh, they showed us uh, another room that would give us more space, so they sort of included that also. And you know, the contract's already been signed, so that's awesome that they're they're willing to add a little bit more space for us. Yeah, so we're we're moving right along. Good stuff. 
Good stuff. What is it that you need from the community? Or if you, you, know, you have the community's attention right now, what is it something that you're looking for from the community? Just to help spread the word. And if you're interested in volunteering, we need volunteers. So please, by all means, reach out. We're on Twitter, DMs are open, or clayball at whoppersummit.org, or even volunteers at whoppersummit.org. That way the group will get it. So yeah, just reach out, spread the word. We're all about doing things and making stuff. We're also focusing not just on like red team hacking stuff or blue team stuff, but hardware and hardware security. I think it's really important for us to to bring in like that aspect of like the maker community and like the people that are out there making badges and stuff and the people that are doing the hardware security. I don't think we hear enough about them and enough about what they're doing and how we can be involved or how people new can sort of get involved in that aspect of the field. So that was a huge inspiration to, to really bring in hardware as a main focus. That's awesome. That's really good. So what does Whopper mean? What does it stand for? Yeah, so it's a movie reference. People should be aware of it. If not, all you youngins out there. Nice. Yeah, there, there are a handful of, of hacker movies that, that everyone should watch, right? Yeah. You know, I'm putting together a list lecture like that. Sneakers, hands down, one of my favorites. And of course, hackers and war games. So yeah, those are the... The top three. Because um, I'm looking all over. I'm like, where's Whopper? I'm like, I don't see it. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some people on Twitter, they'll have it like as part of their avatar and stuff. So it's like, oh, all right, there's, you know, free advertising. Do you have anything specific for younger folks for learning more about InfoSec? At a, a lot of the B-Sides events are doing, and even DEF CON, Roots, yeah. getting the, the kids involved it's awesome. Um, I've got a little one also, and he's getting to be to about that age. I mean, he can read and write and stuff, but it's like getting into the... Yeah, he's almost there, I think. So, yeah, like Minecraft. Write your own Minecraft mod. You yeah, know, yeah. Little, thing, little things like that. Keep it fun. There are plenty of books out there. No Starch has a lot of good ones. Um, I love No Starch. They're a sponsor for Walper Summit. We should be getting some books and eat e-vouchers to give away so big shout out to them they're very active in the in the community but yeah there's so there are a number of books out there for kids even like okay. hardware focused and electronic focused for uh for kids yeah i know my son has a computer club thing but yeah it would be nice if we could if there's some sort of outreach with like community groups mm -hmm. you know whether it be like boy scouts or girl scouts or any sort of after school activities, just to get them exposed to um, information security. And they're the ones that, especially with privacy, like they're, they, they need to be aware of what things are like in perspective to what they were like 10 years ago. And of course, I don't think they're going to get that until they're older and, you know, maybe even not until they're in their, their 20s, mm -hmm. you know. I'm not sure how much thought teenagers really give to that. I don't know. I'm sure a lot do, but I'm sure a lot don't. Just like society. Yeah. My wife doesn't care if the NSA is watching her through her camera. Like she's like, whatever. They're not doing that. I've got nothing to hide. And it's just like, oh no, let's just not let's just stop talking. Just stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, any exposure to 
online privacy and safety, yeah, is important. And yeah, try, just trying to get that out to the kids. Yeah, I mean, I think we're doing it little by little, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's important. What about sponsors? Do you guys need any sponsors? How's that going? Yes, absolutely. No Starch has been awesome, and they're sponsoring us um, with in-kind gifts of books and e-vouchers. But we do need sponsors. We're a first-time conference, so I know it might be a challenge for us to get. But yeah, any sort of sponsorship or donations at all are greatly appreciated. You could just go and donate 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, every every little bit helps because we do have to cover costs. Yeah, what are some incentives for companies for their sponsorship? Like, you know, what are some, maybe we could talk about the prospectus <laughs> in, uh, in yeah. podcast format. Yeah, absolutely. So we have three different levels, if I remember correctly. Um, it's been a while since I looked at it. It's from like very basic, like less than $500. You know, we'll shout out on uh, social media, a post on our website, logo on our website. You can even have a table set up for for a larger sponsorship, you can have a table. Do you guys have a vendor area? We could. So we have a large room that is just a big social room. We'll have music and stuff going on there. A contest, BSEC Lab um, is is one of the contests. She's awesome. And I think she's like 11 or 12. Her, her father's part of a local DEF CON group. So yeah, we're thrilled to have them. So yeah, we could set up some vendor tables in there. Then we have two or three breakout rooms that are just off of that big room. Okay. Yeah. The, the sponsorship prospectus has all the details and we're willing to take creative sort of sponsorships also. So oh. if it's not mentioned specifically, um, just reach out and we'll, we're more than happy to, to work with you and try to make something happen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Are you guys a nonprofit? Not yet. So it's all run under an LLC, but maybe next year, that's where I would like to take this. Right. Okay. Is to have it be um, a nonprofit. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Clay, this has been really fun. I've had a good time talking. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. I have too. I appreciate it. Yeah. We'll leave details about the summit in the show notes. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you.